So yes, um, please uh, turn in your Bibles or we'll be seeing it on the screen as well. Um, and uh, we're going to uh, consider what the Word of God says. And so our scripture is Acts chapter 13, uh, beginning at verse 13. Um, this is a story of uh, Paul on his first missionary journey going to the city of Antioch and reaching out there, communicating his word there, um, God's word. And yes, Paul, he just uh, had a real passion to reach out to new and different cities, uh, going to uh, many Gentile cities, where in those cities there would still be uh, quite a number of, of Jews as well. Uh, by the way, there are two Antiochs uh, in the New Testament. The um, first one is known as Antioch of Syria. That's the first church that was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. There was a church in Jerusalem, but then in Antioch of Syria, uh, the church was comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. Okay, and so Antioch of Syria was a good-sized city, one of the largest uh, cities in the Roman Empire. Um, and Paul uh, and his companions launched their first missionary journey, as well as second missionary journey, and the third missionary journey, and his trip to Rome uh, were all launched uh, from Antioch of Syria. But then there's also Antioch of Pisidia, and that's what we're going to be considering this morning. It was one of the cities that uh, he and his partner visited on their uh, first missionary journey. And so I'm going to begin reading with Acts 13, verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, that is John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. For when David had served God's purpose, in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and in and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. For I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe if someone had, not, had told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas and who talked with them and urged them 
to continue, and I want us to notice this especially, they urge them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. When Paul and Barnabas arrived in the city of Antioch of Pisidia, they asked around, tried to find out uh, where the local synagogue was. Uh, and on the Sabbath day, they went there for worship. Standard operating procedure. Whenever Paul arrived in a certain city or town, his first thought was to go to the local synagogue and look for an opportunity to minister. And so they arrive at the synagogue, find a place to sit, and respectfully listen to the reading of the law. A typical Jewish service back then would begin with prayer, and then there would be two readings from the Old Testament. One from the Pentateuch and the other from the prophets. And then after those readings, then the ruler of the synagogue would himself give the message, or he would invite someone else to do the honor. On this particular Sabbath, the ruler of the synagogue notices the two visitors, and he decides to give them the opportunity to give the message. And so Paul takes up the offer, and starting with the time of the exodus from Egypt, he traces the history of how God consistently has shown his favor to the people of Israel down through the centuries. He tells of how God gave them the victory against the seven nations, in the land of Canaan. He describes how God provided leaders such as uh, David and Samuel. But his greatest demonstration of God's favor, says Paul, was the provision of a savior. He explains how this savior, Jesus, didn't deserve to be hung on a cross, but still God had his purposes and allowed it to happen. And then Paul gets to the heart of the message. He says, through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You people here at Antioch, you can experience forgiveness of sins firsthand 
if you place your trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the message in a nutshell. Not a very complicated message. All of us have failed morally. All of us deserve God's wrath. But God, in his love, provided a way out. Through Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins is available. Not a complicated message. Sometimes, however, the message gets distorted. Many of us here are familiar with televangelists uh, Jim and Tammy Baker. How many of us here remember Jim and Tammy Baker? Okay, uh, quite a number of us. I'm 70 years old, and so uh, a number of you about my same age would uh, remember that as well. Uh, back 40, 50 years ago, they were leaders of PTL Ministries. Had a huge ministry going. 50 to 60 million dollars coming in every year. Then they ran into trouble. Jim Baker was convicted of overselling timeshares to Heritage Park, and he ended up spending five years in a federal prison on fraud and conspiracy charge. He was sentenced to 45 years, but through appeals, he actually spent only five years in prison. During about that same time, Jim and Tammy were divorced. About 30 years ago, when he finished his prison sentence, Jim Baker spoke at a church in Muskegon, Michigan. It was a church in which he had grown up. He humbly admitted to the people of that church that during his televangelist years, he had taught a prosperity gospel. He appeared on television and said to his listeners, you need to place your trust in Jesus Christ and then God will give you lots of money and some of that money you can give to my ministry and then God will make you financially prosperous. He said, quote, there's a lot of false doctrine going around like prosperity gospel. And he said, quote, I was preaching a lot of it. Now, that's a good thing to hear Jim Baker admit that because for many years he was advancing a distorted gospel. When Paul preached the good news at Antioch, he preached the pure gospel, universal problem of sin. God graciously provides a savior, Jesus Christ. Do you recognize your sin? Are you willing to place your trust in Jesus Christ as savior and Lord? How did the people of Antioch respond to Paul's message? Initially, a very good response. After the sermon, everyone uh, clustered around Paul, and they had lots of questions, and, and they begged him to come back one week later to give a follow-up message. They had all kinds of questions as to uh, what this gospel was all about, and they wanted further explanation. Um, very encouraging response. And so that same day, Paul and Barnabas answer all of their questions uh, and urged the people of Antioch to continue in the grace of God. Notice that. He urged them to continue in the grace of God. And that was the first 
Sunday or Sabbath day that they were there. Paul says in effect here, you people have a real hunger for the gospel. You've got all kinds of questions about the person of Jesus Christ. You've learned about God's grace and how he has extended forgiveness to his people through Jesus Christ. I want you to keep it up. Keep seeking the Lord. Continue in the grace of God. Stay focused on the grace of God. And here it had only been, you know, two or three hours since they had heard the gospel for the first time and had favorably responded to it. You and I today also need to continue in the grace of God. Doesn't matter whether we're 20 years old or 50 years old or, or 80 years old. Am I continuing in God's grace? Each of us need to be asking ourselves that question. Each day, am I thankful for God's grace in my life? And am I thinking about how I should properly respond to God's grace in my life? Here's a question for you all to consider. If God were to come to you today and say, in the next 24 hours or 48 hours, I'm going to, I'm willing to show my grace to you in any way that you want. How would you respond? What would you ask for? And you know that you've received God's greatest gift of grace, the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. But now he asks you a question about the ongoing demonstration of his grace. If in the next 24 hours, you would like God to show his grace to you in any way that you respond, that you wanted, what would you ask for? Don't answer too quickly. We might say, oh, if God would just give me $400,000, that would just solve a whole lot of problems. That would put me in a good place financially, and that would be such a gracious gift. Uh, yes, it might do that, but it might also draw your heart away from God. So think about it a little bit more. If God were to offer a blank check, if he were to say in the next 24 hours, I'm willing to show my grace, my favor to you in any way that you request, how would you respond? Lord, please draw my son or my daughter into a relationship with you because my child has been drifting spiritually and is not worshiping anywhere. Lord, please help me to be restored in my relationship to my spouse. Lately, it's been a strained relationship. Lord, please help me to get into the discipline of having daily personal devotion. Lord, please set me free from this bad habit that's got a vice grip on my life. Sometimes we think we are doing well in the Christian life, and then somehow or other we get trucking down the wrong road, we misplace our priorities, we lose our way. And we desperately need a fresh infusion of God's grace. As soon as we think we can live the Christian life on our own, we're in deep trouble. 
one of the most influential newspaper editors in American history was Horace Greeley. He wrote for one of the big New York newspapers about 160 years ago. He addressed many issues uh, in his newspapers, um, including the issue of slavery. His newspaper articles helped to convince the nation that slavery was wrong. On one occasion, Horace Greeley was in Washington, D.C., talking with a congressman. And that congressman proudly told Horace Greeley, I am a self-made man. To which Horace Greeley replied, that relieves the Almighty of a great responsibility. <laughs> Excellent response. None of us are self-made people. God has used our parents. God has used other people. God has used others in the, in the church family here, pastors and uh, others in the church, to shape us into the kind of person that we are, the level of spiritual development where we are at today. So it's a delusion to think that we're self-made people. It's only because of God's favor and his grace, that we are who we are, that we have come to be what we are. In Antioch, the following Sabbath, nearly the entire city turns out to hear the word of God. And Paul was preaching for all he was worth, and just as he was building up a head of steam, then some Jews interrupted him, contradicting what he was saying. And what was Paul's response? He doesn't ignore them and just keep plowing ahead with his sermon. Instead, he deals with the interruption. He says, we had to give you, the Jews, the first opportunity to respond to the gospel. But because you have rejected it, we are now turning to the Gentiles and giving them opportunity to respond. Time and time again, that happened and Paul's missionary journeys. A majority of the Jews rejected the gospel, and then the church in that particular city would be comprised of a small group of Jews and a large group of Gentiles. That was the overall pattern. Generally speaking, there was a spiritual hardness on the part of the Jews, and at the same time, a healthy receptivity on the part of the Gentiles. Well, Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their feet when they leave the city of Antioch. Jesus had told his disciples that if the people of a certain town or city uh, rejected the gospel, that they were to shake the dust off their feet, and it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than what it would be for that town. Well, you say, how can that be? Because Sodom and Gomorrah uh, were very disgusting morally and spiritually. Well, even though that was the case, they were, in fact, disgusting. They never had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 11 that the salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. God was allowing Gentiles to enter 
his kingdom to make the Jews jealous. And today, you and I are a part of the family of God because Jews rejected the gospel. They had first opportunity, they turned it down, and so what does God do? He extends the opportunity to others to hear the good news. A number of us here today are from Dutch background. And we can be thankful for the missionary Boniface. Boniface was a monk from England who about 1300 years ago left his home country and went to what is now Germany and the Netherlands and told those uncivilized people about Jesus Christ. Back in, uh, both in the Netherlands and in Germany, and back then there were no separate nations of Germany and the, the Netherlands, uh, it was all one barbarian region. But back in the Netherlands and in Germany, about 720 AD, Boniface had some hard-nosed pagans to deal with. Um, and for the most part, they were stubbornly rejecting the gospel. Go figure. Dutch people, stubborn. One of his best-known confrontations was as follows, and I thank the writer Anne Hibbard for her version of this story. Quote, the worshipers huddled together against the cold of the December night. Before them, a gnarled oak tree stood black against the star-swept sky. A small boy stretched out on the altar at the base of the tree. Over him loomed a hideous figure, the high priest of Thor. The crowd stood mesmerized as the high priest slowly raised a huge hammer over the boy's head. Just as the hammer began to descend upon the boy, a black-robed man thrust himself through the crowd. He stretched forth a cross, which caught the blow of the hammer. The worshipers gasped. Stupefied with fear, the high priest let the hammer fall to the ground and backed away. Surely, at any moment, the god Thor would strike down this intruder. But there was no angry recourse from the heavens. The black-robed man, Boniface, released the boy. Tonight, this oak shall be felled, Boniface declared. With phenomenal energy, he delivered blow after blow to the ancient tree. Hour after hour, he chopped away. Finally, the sacred oak tree crashed to the ground. Turning to the silent crowd, Boniface told them about the one true God who loved them and sent his own son to give them life. From now on, he told them, they must no longer perform such rituals of death. In the years prior to the chopping down of that oak tree, Boniface saw very little response to the gospel. That night was a turning point. Word got around, and many thousands of people in Germany and in the Netherlands turned from their animistic pagan beliefs and embraced 
the Christian faith. Boniface spent the rest of his life in Germany and the Netherlands. He never returned to England. For 40 years, he worked tirelessly proclaiming the gospel. He spent a lot of time in Dutch areas such as Utrecht and Friesland. Boniface paid a high price for proclaiming the gospel. In 754 AD, a gang of youths from Friesland killed him. This was the key man that God used to bring Dutch people into his kingdom. So yes, we can thank God that God sent Boniface to the Netherlands and Germany so that those of us from Dutch background, our ancestors could be set free from their enslavement to sin and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. The good news that God has given to us, we aren't allowed to keep to ourselves. We have a responsibility to share it with others. So that others can see how Jesus is the bread of life. That's part of what it means to continue in the grace of God. That is to share the good news with others who are living in darkness and to be praying for them. At one point in his ministry, Jesus sends out 72 disciples on a short-term ministry trip to proclaim the kingdom of God. When they came back, they were filled with joy. And they said, Lord, even demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, blessed are the eyes who see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and wanted to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You have privileged eyes, disciples, because you get to see God and doing great and powerful things that Old Testament prophets and kings never saw. Blessed eyes, privileged eyes, eyes. Uh, these blue eyes of mine are privileged eyes. Because we get to see God do, doing certain things in Papua New Guinea, like, wow, teaching the word of God in a public high school, being mandated. And what a wide open door, 325 high schools in the country and Currently, we're involved with about 30 or so of those high schools, so there's still a long ways to go. But wow, what a terrific response to the gospel. Um, and high school students, keenly interested. And, and as Penny and I travel around the country and meet with uh, high school principals, virtually every one of the principals that we meet with, you know, they take... Uh, a few minutes, uh, three to five minutes, just a page through the book, and they see that it's very relevant for Papua New Guinea. They see that there's good teaching from the Word of God, and they say, wow, uh, can I have a thousand copies for every student in my high school? And we say, yes, you can, as long as we've got a supply left. And so uh, it's been growing phenomenally. Back about six years ago, uh, there were about 6,500 copies of these books that we distributed. And now uh, this past year, it's up to 30,000 copies that we've distributed. 
And so the Lord is doing it, uh, a great things. And so we have blessed eyes to see what God is doing in a marvelous way. Um, religious education, and we thank God for that. That uh, is a rare thing in uh, many other countries of the world. Uh, now there are places, uh, other less developed countries in which there is an opportunity for religious education, but in many of those countries, then there has to be um, Muslim religious education as well, or other types of uh, other religions. In Papua New Guinea, it is intentionally C-R-E, Christian religious education. Uh, and so, yes, uh, there are only three mosques in the entire nation of PNG. So we thank God for what he is doing, uh, the wide open doors. And thank you uh, to this church family for praying with us and for giving gifts so that the ministry can move forward. Uh, many lives are being changed. Uh, principles. Uh, it's so exciting to meet with these principles and, and pastors who volunteer to teach religious education in the high schools. That's also a wonderful opportunity. So yes, continue in the grace of God. Keep basking in God's grace, uh, being deeply thankful for how his grace has been revealed to you, and then to be thinking about how to continue in God's grace. Father God, we come before you and we are thankful for your grace in our lives. Uh, at times we have been living in darkness and not aware of your grace and or not responding to it in a good, healthy way. But yes, thank you that you have communicated your truth to us and you have set us free from our bondage to decay and given us the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so, yes, we pray that you would instruct us and teach us in the way that we should go and, and help us to walk and live in the power of the Holy Spirit every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.